Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 9 to 13. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. The scripture says that love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's pray. Father, the passage that we are looking at today is short in terms of the number of verses, but packed with instructions for us and how we are to live. Father, when we come to something like this, there are times when we look at those things as a checklist. and We kind of inventory our own life. And I pray that today you, by your Holy Spirit, would really speak to each one of us to be honest about ourselves and the areas where we need to grow, to give you praise for those things that you have done in our life that are the evidence of change, the change that you have made by the Holy Spirit and by the grace that you have given to us. And I pray that as a body of believers and as individuals, we would practice these things and do them well for your honor and glory. Amen. When Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, he said, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And he said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now the idea of loving one another was not entirely new. I mean, even in the Old Testament they were to love one another as believers too in in God. And yet here was a new community being formed, the church. And Jesus was saying to these disciples that the distinguishing mark of believers in Jesus Christ, those who would come to know Him, would be their love for one another. The quality of their relationships were to be so distinctive that others would recognize that they were followers of Jesus Christ. Now that's a a challenge, isn't it, for us? That's a high calling to be that kind of new community that God has called out from the world who care about one another so much that others can see that there is a difference, that Jesus lives in you. Well, the question I'd like us to think about this morning is the question, what does that look like? What does love look like in the body of Christ? You see, there are times when people can look at this uh, you know, command to love one another and they can kind of think that that's pretty general or vague. Sometimes people even think that they are loving someone because they feel like they love them when maybe they really aren't because they aren't showing it in the way that they are treating one another. It's possible for the command to love one another to be simply something that people acknowledge with their lips but they don't really practice in their lives. And so I believe that Paul gave these instructions to the church in Rome to give them some specific examples of how we are to love one another in the body of Christ. I mean, that's what this passage in Romans 12 really does. Paul gives us a picture of what love is to look like in the church in verses 9 to 13 and what 
love is to look like in the world in verses 14 through the end of the chapter. Now we're going to look at 9 to 13 this morning and in a couple weeks we'll pick up in chapter 12 and we'll look at what our love should look like when we think about our relationships with those who are in the world. And that will be in the passage that follows. And as we come today, as I mentioned, there's a whole bunch of instructions in this passage. Each of these are commands that are given that we are to do and to put into practice. What I've tried to do is to summarize them with six observations of what love is to be like in the body of Christ. And as we go through these six things, I want you to think about your own relationships and how Christ has been at work in your life. And if there are areas here where you feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting you, I'd like you to make the application in them, in one of these areas, and to work on that and say, God, would you help me to do this even this week? Paul begins by telling us that love is primary. We see that in the initial command and instruction that love must be sincere. When we talk about love being primary, what I mean is that it is of first importance. Jesus himself said that when he said that the greatest commandment was to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second commandment is like it. It is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so here Jesus was saying, you could sum up all of the laws and all of the commandments by these two, to love God and to love people. And what Paul does in this passage is he stresses the importance of love for us in the body of Christ in two ways that are unique to this particular statement. Number one, he stresses its importance by its placement in the chapter. Uh, This particular command follows Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. Now think about that. It is the very same thing that he does in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, he gives instruction on spiritual gifts in the body and how we are one body with many gifts and we are to work together in harmony. And then he interrupts his discussion of spiritual gifts with a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that is about love. And what does he say in that chapter? He says things like, you know, uh, you could have all knowledge, but if you don't have love, it doesn't profit at all. You could have the ability to speak in tongues, the languages of men and angels. If you don't have love, it doesn't profit a thing. You could have the gift of prophecy to see the future and to be able to declare that to God's people, but if you don't have love in your heart, it doesn't mean a thing. And he goes on and on through these tremendous gifts that people have been given. And he says, if you don't have love in the exercise of those gifts, you're missing the whole point. Because what is most important to God are the kinds of relationships that we have with one another in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter how gifted a person is. If we don't have love, it profits nothing. And secondly, he emphasizes that love is primary also by the heading that he uses here and the way that he words this phrase, that love must be sincere. What's interesting is I was studying it, and in the Greek, there's no verb there. It's like a banner that's over this section of Scripture. In English, in most of the translations, they put in a verb to say love must be sincere. But really the way it reads is it's love, and the word it uses is agape, or 
God's unconditional love. And then the second word is unhypocritical. Love, unhypocritical. Love without hypocrisy is another way that we would say it. And that word hypocrite, you will probably remember, or many of you will, was a word that applied to the Greek theater. And it meant to speak from under a mask. And you know in the Greek theater where they would wear a mask with either the smile or the frown, you know, and they'd put on this face. And they were acting. And what Paul is saying here is that in the body of Christ we are to love without hypocrisy. We are to love without pretending or play acting or putting on a mask. Our love is to be genuine for one another. So this isn't something that we can fake. God isn't impressed by that. When people put on a fake smile or a fake attitude toward one another. Our love for one another must be real from the heart. Genuine. If it is to be pleasing to God. And so how do we do that? What does that kind of love look like? Well, I believe that's why Paul goes on to expound it in these ways. He tells us that love must be pure. That love is pure. And he expresses that by saying that we are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, does it surprise you that in a section where he is commanding us to love, that the very first instruction after that is the word hate? (laughs) You know, it's just kind of interesting to have that thrown in there, that when he says that we are to love one another, he begins with this word, we are to hate what is evil. And we are to cling to what is good. You see, love is pure because that's what God is. God is love and God is light. God cares about us, but He is also holy and He hates sin. And if we are to be His people and to be marked by the same kind of relationship that God has with us, then that relationship is going to be marked by holiness and purity. That we are to be love and light in this world as we let Jesus Christ work through us. Henry Drummond was a Scottish scientist and evangelist. And he once gave a message on the primacy of love. And in that, he really caught the essence, I think, of what uh, Paul is trying to say here in terms of how love should affect the way that we live. He said, you know, uh, Drummond said that if we really love God, and you were to look at the commandments that He has given and take the Ten Commandments and just walk right down through that list, if we really love God, then He will be first in our heart. And we won't put anything else before Him because our love for Him will be so strong. And if we really love God, would we ever take His name in vain or misuse it or abuse it? No, we wouldn't want to do that. We'd want to use His name in a way that is reverent and honoring to Him. And if we really love God, we will be delighted that there is one day in seven that is set apart where we can gather like this to worship Him and to give God thanks and to learn how we can grow closer to Him. And you could take the same thing and apply it to our relationships with one another. If we really love one another, we will honor our parents. If we really love one another, there would be no thought of murder or that kind of hatred or evil that comes into relationships. We wouldn't steal from one another. 
We wouldn't lie about one another. We wouldn't covet if love has changed our heart by the power of Jesus Christ. If we love God, we will hate sin. And we will cling to or be drawn to those things that are good. And I'd ask you, do you see that change happening in your life? And when you look back, have you seen that progression of how God has changed you? You know, I take one area for me. You know, I I used to, when I was younger, watch more television or movies or things like that. But I find, as I've gotten older, that there is less and less that I find attractive in those things to see. I mean, I miss those. I want the stories that are inspiring and encouraging and that are stories of redemption and stories of good overcoming evil. And what I see in our world today is how many times, you know, media just doesn't get it. And we don't see that portrayed as much in terms of those kind of healthy relationships or or families that honor God or are committed to that. It said so much of what is shown today only adds to the immorality that is a part of our world. And what happens in the heart of a believer as we grow closer to God, as we see this change taking place in us, where we begin to hate what is evil and we are drawn to those things that are good. Not because of our old nature, not at all, but because of the change that Christ has made in us by His Word. Love is pure. Love is also committed. Love is committed whether it is in a marriage relationship or in a friendship. And Paul expresses that commitment here in two ways. He tells us that we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and we are to honor one another above ourselves. When he says that we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, this is the way that it reads in the original text. In brotherly love to one another, love warmly. In brotherly love, love warmly. He says it twice in two different ways, but what he is describing is that in the body of Christ, in a healthy church, one of the marks of a healthy church is to be a warm Christian fellowship. We are to be marked by those kind of caring relationships with one another so that when people come and they become part of a fellowship or a church, they sense that. There are people that are concerned about you and you are concerned about me and we show that in the way that we treat one another, in our prayers for one another, in our questions and in the time we take to listen and to hear what's going on in someone's life. We are devoted to one another with that kind of warm, brotherly love. The church is a family. It's not a business. It's not a corporation. It's not like any other kind of relationship. The model that is so often used of the church is to be a family. And we are to think of it in the very best of what a family is to be. As I know that there are many people that have grown up in dysfunctional homes or families and so when they think about some of those relationships they weren't very healthy it wasn't a good role model perhaps for you but what I'm trying to say here is that Paul is saying when it comes to the church there is to be that healthy kind of relationship of love and respect of caring and concern that is to be true of each one of us In fact, every one of us has the responsibility to make that happen. 
It's not just the responsibility of the pastors or leaders of the church to be looking out and caring for one another. It's not just the responsibility of our Stephen ministers or deacons and deacons and our ABFs. It's the responsibility of every member of the body of Christ to do their best to love one another and to show this kind of concern of a warm Christian family. And I know that uh, you and I, we can't do that with a thousand people. You can't have that kind of close, intimate relationship with a thousand people. The best way to develop those kind of friendships and relationships is through small groups. It's through being involved in a ministry where you're working together in relationships with people. Uh, It's through something like our adult Bible fellowships where you start to get connected with people. But that's where the one another's take place of praying for one another, caring for one another, serving one another, helping one another. All of those one another passages and instructions fit best and work best in the context of those kind of small group relationships. That's why we stress it. That's why it's so important that we don't want you to just come on Sunday morning to the large gathering, but to seek out and to be a part of those smaller fellowships in the body of Christ where you can be blessed and you can be a blessing in someone else's life. Love is committed. Thirdly, love is zealous. I like what he says in verse 11. He says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. He is exhorting us to keep the fire burning in our heart for God. And the way that we show that is in our service, serving the Lord. It's putting feet to this instruction. You see, God is not pleased by spiritual apathy or laziness. God is not pleased at all by lukewarmness in the body of Christ. Literally what He is saying here is, I want you to keep your spirit aflame. Keep that fire burning. In the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, God rebuked the Ephesian church because they had left their first love. In those days when they had come to know Christ, they fell in love with Him and there was an excitement. And maybe you can relate to that in terms of your own conversion and you were excited about what God was doing and the Scripture came alive. Do you have that same passion and fire in your heart? Or has the flame gone cold? God also warned the Laodicean church when He said to them that I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I am about to spew you out of My mouth. They had come to the point where they were useful for nothing because of their spiritual indifference. And He warned them and called them to repent and to return to Him. Paul even wrote to Timothy, that young pastor, and he exhorted him in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. He said, Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. It's a picture of the embers in a fire about to go out. And there are times when ministry can be hard, and there are times when life is hard, and it's challenging, and it's busy. And Paul is saying, I want you to work very hard to keep that fire burning in your heart. Don't let it go out. Even those who are called to ministry need to work at that. How do we do that? 
But we need one another to keep that fire burning. We need the encouragement that comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need those who are like-minded believers who walk with us. We need people that are mentors and role models for us who are pressing on. You know, whenever I think of someone keeping that fire burning, I think in the Old Testament of Caleb who's in his 80s and who's saying to God, give me that mountain. And he's still dreaming dreams and he's still running hard after God. And that's the way Paul lived his life. He said, you know, I want to run this race to the end, to the very end of my days. I don't want to stop short of that. I want to be passionate for God throughout my life. How's your passion? Has the fire for God gone cold in your heart? Do you need to fan that flame again and get it burning? Do you need to take the time to come before God and repent of your sin? And to say, God, would you renew that fire in me once again? Love is to be steadfast. We see that in verse 12. There are three commands that he gives in this verse. That we are to be joyful in hope. We are to be patient in affliction. We are to be faithful in prayer. Paul knows that being a Christian doesn't mean life is going to be easy. The Roman church would experience great persecution. How do we handle that? Here's what he's saying. I want you to stay strong and steadfast in your walk with God. I want you to be able to handle those trials when they come. And the same is true for us. Life's not going to be easy. It's not going to go smoothly all the time. There are going to be difficulties and hardships. There'll be illness. There'll be relationship struggles. There'll be problems at work and problems in the family. The real question is, again, how do we handle them when they come? Do we get mad or impatient? Are we frustrated? Do we get mad at God? Do we grumble? Do we say, this isn't fair? Kind of stomp our feet and pout or whatever it may be. Or do we trust God? Do we trust God? And say, God, what is it that you are trying to teach me through this? God, help me to be strong. And those who have learned to do this, I mean, those individuals I really admire in my life because I don't feel particularly good in these things. And I want to be that kind of person that is joyful in hope and that is patient in affliction and that is faithful and consistent in prayer. A few weeks ago, I did a funeral service for uh, someone's grandmother, a person in our church, and their grandmother had passed away, and they asked if I would do the service. And as a part of that service, this was a woman who loved the Lord, and we had an open sharing time there, and family members and friends stood up, and they talked about her life. This woman had lived into her 90s, but she had experienced many trials in life. She had been legally blind for a number of years. She had uh, suffered through different trials and loss and death and grief of both spouse and children and others. And you could see how all of that would have affected a person. And yet the stories that were told about her were that she was so full of joy. A woman of faith. A woman who was generous. You couldn't leave her house without being given some food to take home or something to eat or bring back. And maybe you have a grandmother who is like that as well who just wants to give and give and give. 
She had gone through hard times and living without and didn't have much in her life. But she was so positive. You know, you've heard this statement before that as we grow older, we can either become bitter or better. And here is a woman who had become better by the grace of God. And you know what that's like. I mean, there are people like that that I I love to visit because when you go visit them, you leave encouraged and cheered up. And there are other people that you have seen and you know that every time you see them, all they do is complain. It's just just one complaint after the other. And there's no joy in their heart and you wonder how do they get through each day because all they do is they talk poorly about other people or about what's going on in the world or in their life and there's no hope there. Paul is saying this is what love looks like under pressure. This is what love looks like in the body of Christ. It is joyful in hope. It knows the future that God has prepared for us. And there is that deep conviction and hope in God. It is patient in affliction. It endures under trial. And it is faithful in prayer, praying for the needs of others and looking outside of ourselves. You know, it's not just myopic and focusing about me and my needs. But individuals who have grown in grace, they pray. They pray for those that they know and love. And God hears and answers those prayers. And He tells us that love is generous. And we see that in verse 13. Love gives. He touches on two areas when He says that we are to share with God's people who are in need and we are to practice hospitality. Love shares with God's people who are in need. When love sees a need in a person's life, it doesn't turn away. It doesn't send them on their way. But it does what it can to help meet those needs. In 1 John 3, 16-18, these verses have always been for me a strong statement of what love is to be like in the body of Christ. John wrote, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. If you just take a passage like that and you meditate on that, can you do that and not be moved? I don't think so. If God is really at work in your life and in your heart and you take and you meditate on a passage of Scripture like that and you see the needs of others, God will move in your heart. And whether it is bringing an offering for a food shelf or helping someone in the congregation through our deacons fund or assisting in ways that are quietly behind the scenes, God's going to use you. And we can't meet every need individually ourselves, but as a body of Christ, we want to do our part to address the needs that we can. And individually, God's going to put it on our heart. Certain people, certain needs that we will be moved to help with. I'm going to tell you, I've been on both sides of that equation, both sides of that verse. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end, to have very little and to be humbled by the generosity of others. 
I know that when Gail and I were going through seminary and doing our internship, we had very little. And there were times when people brought over for us a bag of groceries. And we were blessed. And I know what that's like. And I also know what it's like to be on the other side. To be able to give and help somebody anonymously. And to be able to be a part of meeting a need in secret. And helping to be an encouragement to somebody else. I love it when we can use our deacons fund to help people in our church with needs. With no expectation of repayment. Of just saying, you know, this is given in the name of Christ. And we want to help you. And we know that everybody goes through times like that in life. And then to watch and to see how as God blesses those individuals, how many times in the future they return and they give back to the deacon's fund because they were assisted. That's the way that it should work in the body of Christ, that we share with one another when we are in need and we show our love in that way. And the command here to practice hospitality is also very interesting. It's a strong command. The word for practice is actually the word pursue. It'd be like you were were running after someone. He is saying, literally, I want you to pursue strangers in showing hospitality. And he's saying that because at that time, they didn't have inns and places to stay that were very nice for traveling missionaries or itinerant preachers that were going along. And so Paul was exhorting them to take them into your home. Don't wait for them to ask, but take the initiative. Pursue and practice hospitality in that way. And I think about that for us in the church. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you had someone over from church just to get to know them? When was the last time you opened up your home, you took the initiative to invite somebody over from church just to have a meal together and to get to know them? You know, I think it's almost a lost art in the body of Christ. And yet it means so much. When we open our homes, when we host a small group, and we have people there, and we have a Bible study together in our home, what a blessing that is. When we take the initiative to have a few friends over from church and get together just to enjoy fellowship. When we invite somebody that we don't know or somebody who's new in the body of Christ. I've been a part of churches where, um, you know, in the past when we were younger again and we had people that didn't know us and they invited us over. What a joy. Now, I know it takes some work. It takes some initiative to do that. But I would urge you not to be too self-conscious about your home or the way things look. And instead, just take the initiative to focus on the relationship and to open your heart and open your home to others and be a blessing in their life. There's a lot here, isn't it? Four short verses packed with instructions for what love is like in the body of Christ. Love isn't just an emotion or something we say. Love is shown in the way that we live. And Paul says this is what love looks like. This is how the church is to function. This is how we are to treat one another. That love is pure, it is committed, it is zealous, it is steadfast, it is generous. What's your assignment today? What's the area that God would have you work on?
and put into practice. Each one of us has a part to play as we grow and become that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, when I think about your scripture and all that Paul has been building on, all of this flows out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is God, and He is, if He's the Savior, and He is, if He laid down His life for us, and He did, if You have given to us the very best that You could give Your Son, and You have done that, then how can we live anything any, any differently? If we really love You, then we'll love one another, and we will show it. And so, Father, I pray that You would help us to grow in all of these areas. I thank you for what is already happening in our church and for the warm relationships and friendships that exist. But may we grow in that. May we grow in our Christ-likeness to show this kind of love and concern in our relationships with everyone in the body of Christ. And may those who are on the outside looking in say, Oh, how they love one another. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.